today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're in verses 23 through 28. We're calling this sermon, He Will Do It. First Thessalonians five twenty three. All right, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Jesus, we we just come to you right now. We come before you and your word. God, I thank you that you've given us your word, that you speak to us, that this book is living and active. Holy Spirit, that you use this to meet with your people, and you want to speak to us this morning, God. Yes, this is for the Thessalonians, but this is for us. And so, Jesus, I pray right now you would you'd help every one of us. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done and who he is. So thankful, Lord, for this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so I love Lord of the Rings kind of a nerdy thing. I love the movies. I love the books. I wish I could be multiple characters on like a little kid when I think of Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. Okay. And at the end of the story, you have Frodo and Sam. They're hobbits. If you don't know, if you don't know Lord of the Rings, you just, you, you just have to go today and literally watch all of them. And I don't know why, but it typically is like, it happens that way, like marathon. Maybe you don't do that. People hate it, but it's so good. So Frodo and Sam, they've they have this ring, the ring of power, and it's, it's gnarly. They, like, their, their one job is destroy this ring, okay? And so the entire story is them, how he found this ring that's actually in The Hobbit, and he's like, I have to destroy it, and the only place it can be destroyed is where it was created, in this epic volcano, Mount Doom, in like the middle of the enemy's kingdom. So they, it's just, th- it's thousands of pages of trials of them getting these two little hobbits and getting in to the heart of the enemy's kingdom, and at, towards the very end of the story, Frodo and Sam are just beaten and bruised, and you're like, I can't believe they're here, and they're, they're at the base of Mount Doom in the middle of the enemy's kingdom, and uh, it's, it's right there. All they have to do is get to the top of the mountain and throw the ring in the fire, and Frodo, it's been rough for Frodo. I mean, it's, he's gone through a lot, okay, and he's exhausted, and his one job is to bear the ring. Nobody else can do that. Uh, his, that's his calling. And so he's been carrying this and nobody else has done it for him. But Gandalf, wizard wise, sounds weird. It's not weird. He said, do you know what? He knew Frodo was, wanted to go on his own, but Gandalf said, no, you need to go with some, someone. I'm sending somebody with you. And that's Sam, beloved Sam, who the whole time is blundering. And you're like, why is Sam here? And Frodo's annoyed at Sam. And Frodo even betrays Sam and like yells at Sam and tries to leave Sam over and over and over again. Yet throughout the story, Sam is, and in the books especially, he's literally, he's the unsung hero of, he is the hero of Lord of the Rings. Over and over and over again, he gets rejected and he's like, I'm not leaving Frodo. He, Frodo gets stung by the spider and he's about to die and Sam like takes on this epic monster like over and over again. 
Sam is like, I will not leave Frodo. I can't carry the ring for him, but I'm, I'm going to be with him. And so Frodo and Sam, they're standing at this mountain and Frodo is, he's done. Literally, he's done. It's over. And he, he collapses. He's like, I cannot. It's just a task is too overwhelming. And, and Sam looks at him and he realizes like, do you know, what? I can't take the ring from him, but I can carry him. And so Sam literally picks up his friend and walks up a volcano. And like the, that's how, and I won't ruin it for you, but Sam, <laughs> you can see where it's going, but Sam is amazing and he carries Frodo to the end, okay? And now this, this last, these last five verses in Thessalonians, they're the last of this letter, but they also have to do with the end of the Christian life. And Paul's helping us see the end of the Christian life is kind of like Frodo and Sam. Okay, we, we're like Frodo. We've been called to do this, to follow Jesus. It's not easy. It feels like death. We've been called to give our life and follow Christ. Jesus said, you're going to have hardships. You're going to be persecuted. It is not going to be an easy task. I'm calling you to be holy and to grow in holiness and sanctification. And so it's exhausting. Yet what we don't know and we often forget is God said, I'm not going to, you're not on your own. I'm actually never going to leave your side. And that's through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will be with you every step of the way. And there are times where we will shove Jesus away and we don't want him and we'll want our sin and we reject him. And we do every single day. And Jesus is like, I'm not leaving you. I will be with you. And Jesus gives us the assurance in these five verses Hey, like Sam, I will be there to pick you up when you don't even have the strength to go on your own. There's this amazing verse in Isaiah 63, 9, and it says, in all their affliction, that's us, he was afflicted, that's Jesus, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And that's just talking about God carrying his people in the Old Testament. And Jesus continues to do that. And so these five verses are so rich. And it's an amazing way to end this letter. And it's an encouraging way to know this is how our life is going to end. But before that, just to recap, we're finishing Thessalonians. We may as well quickly remember what has Paul been teaching us. Um, And and this is how we're going to do it. We live in a world that is very similar to the biblical world in many ways. The certain idols we have, like humanity, there's nothing new under the sun. And so Thessalonians is very relevant to our day and to our culture. In our culture, we're we're a comfort-seeking culture, right? We, We see almost no value in pain or suffering at all. We do everything we can to avoid pain, avoid suffering. It is not redeemable, right? That's classic my generation. Like parents raise us to not feel pain. And then we go grow up and life is hard and we're wrecked by it. But we try to avoid, we try to avoid pain. And Paul starts this letter saying, hey, if it wasn't for pain and persecution, I never would have been here. Remember, he was in Philippians and he was getting persecuted. And it was because of that, that he moved on to the Thessalonians. And Paul starts the letter saying, I was being persecuted and it was in the midst of pain and suffering that I brought the gospel to you. So that's how Paul starts the letter. And so we live in a secular world, right? We live in a a naturalistic, there's no such thing as God. Religion is okay. You know, it can help you live your life well, but a God involved in our life, like that's, that doesn't fly in our culture, especially in America in the West. And it was similar 
in Paul's day, they would have these mythologies of different gods, but, but they knew they made them. Like they, they made the God that they then worshiped. They knew. And, and in the beginning of Thessalonians, Paul is overwhelmed by saying, God actually opened your eyes to the gospel and you are saved. And he's just undone that God really saved them. He said the gospel came with the Holy Spirit and power. It wasn't just a new idea that Paul was sharing. He saw God show up and start this church. We live in a a relativized culture, right? Whatever, we decide if something's right or wrong. We decide how our life is gonna go. We decide the path of our, that's just, that's the culture we live in. And, And it was the same in that day. And Paul encouraged the Thessalonians that's, that's not the way to follow God. God is actually the one who decides. God's word is, the, is our guide and what God says goes. We live in a, in a fatalistic world because we don't really believe in God. We're like, do you know what? This is, this is all there is, right? You may as well live it up. You may as well enjoy as much you know, as you can out of life because this is it. This is as good as it gets. And Paul says, no. He talks about Jesus is coming back. In fact, this life is the worst it's going to get because Jesus is coming back. And everybody we know who have died, who've gone before us, he's like, when Jesus comes, we're going to meet them and we're going to be in eternal bliss, a new heaven and a new earth forever. And then Paul kind of ends this letter talking about relationships and in the church. And is it not obvious? We live in a, a world that has broken relationships, broken marriages. We, we don't like authority right? This election is just making everybody crazy. Like what is going to happen? And Paul came into this church and he encouraged them, hey, love one another, respect your elders, respect authority. I want you to treat one another well. That's kind of like a quick summary of the book. And then Paul ends with these parting words. And let's, let's start with verse 23 and 24. This is how Paul ends. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Okay, so first thing to notice, what's the goal of these verses? What's the point? And you can sum it up this. May God sanctify you. Okay, that's, that's like some of the verses. Paul's prayer is that God would sanctify us. Sanctification. Sanctification is a big theological word, and it's basically the process by which we're set apart. That's what the word means, to be sanctified, to be set apart. We're set apart for God, but then it's also the ongoing process of us becoming holy, okay? And that's, that's kind of complicated. It's, so is it God? Does God sanctify? Do we sanctify? And sanctification is actually one of the great paradoxes of the Christian church. This it drives theologians crazy. Christianity has these things called paradoxes, right? Like, um, how about, was Jesus fully God or was he fully man? He's fully God. He's fully man. It's a paradox. Our brain, it's, it's too big for our brains. Was the, is the Bible written by humans or is it written by God? Thank you. It's paradox. It's both. Uh, is God fully sovereign in control of everything or are we responsible for our actions and decisions? Are we really free? It's the same thing. It's, it's hard and it's crazy. These are paradoxes of the Christian faith. And throughout history, there's been disagreements on all of these things. But faithful Christianity just has to hold difficult things together. It's just, it's both. Sanctification is one of those. Is sanctification something God does or sanctification something we do? And the answer is, 
Yes. And uh, as I was, I was talking with Britt and I was like, Dude, should we talk about sanctification? It's kind of theo- it's theology. Does it really matter? You know, there's these things theologians talk about. Does it really matter? And as we were talking about that, you just kind of realized there's nothing more practical in your daily life with Jesus than sanctification. It's literally, it's every single day, sanctification plays a part. And honestly, sanctification can be misunderstood and it can, can really lead you astray. So we're going to just take a minute, and I know you, we can do this. We're going to think theologically for a little bit about sanctification and why it's important to know. And the, the first way to helpfully think about sanctification is to actually think about justification, which is its counterpart. Okay, so we're going to do justification and then sanctification. So justification, another big theological word. We have the definition up here. Justification is the moment a person is declared perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Okay, at this church and in in this tradition of Protestant Christianity, we believe the Bible teaches an amazing doctrine called justification by faith alone. Okay, and this is basically what that means. You're justified not by what you do. It has nothing to do with you, but by what Jesus has done for you, okay? Justification is simply received as a gift. God does the work and we receive the gift. God does the justifying work on the cross and we do the receiving through faith. So faith is how we get, faith isn't like makes us, doesn't make us better. Faith is like an open arms, like I receive this gift of justification. There's a couple of cool verses about justification. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So justification by faith will change your life. It is such a radical, amazing, counter-cultural idea. It's, It's crazy. You are not defined by what you do. You're defined by what Jesus has done for you. You're not loved by God because of what you do. You're loved because of what Jesus has done for you. When you fail, God's love for you doesn't decrease because he loves you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. When you succeed, when you're doing so well and you're reading your Bible every day and you're listening to extra sermons, that that doesn't add to your righteousness account. You are righteous because of Jesus. And... um, this, this is difficult because you can be a Christian, you can be a Christian and not really believe this. You can be a Christian and not really know this is how it works. You can be a Christian and, and totally operate as if I have to please God to keep his love. And if I fail God, I'm wrecked. And, and that's a pretty default of the human heart, right? Think about the last time you just felt guilty about not loving God. Well, you're like, man, like, I blew it. God probably is just over me. He, we think about God as we do other relationships. And we think about God would treat us the way other people would if we fail him. But God says, my love for you, my justifying, declaring perfect love for you is all a gift by grace. Just receive it. And if, if you want more of justification by faith, when I first, this broke through, I was, it was a few years ago, and it was when at this church we were in the book of Galatians. And that's just... Paul is just going crazy, like, Galatians, you are, like, you're messing it up, you're, me- you're missing it. 
You are not justified by what you do. You are justified by what Jesus has done. And that's an amazing series. If you want more justification, go there. Literally changed my entire life. Okay, so that's justification. God's free gift, not what you do. Okay, sanctification is related to it. It's, it's built upon it, but it's a separate, separate. Okay, sanctification is, is kind of like the next step in salvation. And sanctification is an act of God and humans to grow in holiness. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says it this way. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Jesus in our actual lives. Okay, so you become a Christian. You're declared righteous once and for all. It's epic. You go to bed. You wake up the next morning, and you're grumpy, and you hate the world, and you're still selfish, and the list goes on and on and on, right? The moment you become a Christian, it's amazing, and yet it's frustrating because it's like, why am I still this way? Why do I still experience many of the same temptations? Why am I still attracted to the things that I used to be attracted to? And we experience that. We, we don't believe that once you become a Christian, it's just a cakewalk and it's easy and it's no more work. We actually believe that's when the work, the hard work of sanctification begins. And uh, the Bible calls that experience we have, it's, it's the flesh. Okay, we're declared perfect before God, but we're still stuck in this body that it's flesh and it's dying and it's decaying and it's the old order and it still tempts us. And Paul talks about the war between the flesh and the spirit that he experiences every day. And so be encouraged. If you're struggling as a Christian, like that means you're a Christian. If you're struggling with sin, if you're fighting sin and it's not easy, that's normal. That's part of sanctification. One way people, theologians have said it is we've been set free from the penalty of sin and right now we're being set free from the power of sin. And one day we're going to be set free from the presence of sin altogether. That's glorification. Okay, now here's why sanctification matters practically in your everyday life. There's two major errors you can make on either side. Okay, this is one error. Sanctification, it's my work. Yes, thank you God for saving me, but now it's time for me to get to work. And, and honestly, that's how every religion operates, ever. Okay, thank you, God, get to work. It's time for you to prove yourself. It's time for you to keep yourself in the right spot. It's time for you to, to work hard and be stressed that you may not make it. That's the default of the human heart. It's just religion. Sanctification, it's up to me. The other error is sanctification, it's up to God, sweet. It's all grace, man. Like, I don't need to do anything. This is awesome, right? Jesus loves me. I can just kick back and just wait till he comes back. And I'm just magically gonna grow in holiness. It's, that's, not, that's also, those are two equally bad errors. And the answer is not, you need to fight one with the other, right? Do you not know? It's, it's, it's not a balance. It's, this is the answer. God saves us by grace alone. And grace that saves you will always it will always change you. It will always lead to fruit in your life. If you think you've become a Christian and there's been zero change and you have zero desire to pursue Jesus and you, may, you, should, you should probably be concerned, man, am I, do I really know Jesus? Have I really been saved by grace? Because if you've been saved by grace, you are fundamentally changed at your core. The Bible says you have a new heart, you have new desires, 
You've been filled with the Holy Spirit that fuels your desire to pursue holiness. All of a sudden, you hate your sin, not just because it's inconvenient and there's consequences and you get caught, but because it's an offense to God. So grace that saves also is grace that will change us. And so we should be pursuing daily holiness. But here's the good news. As we pursue holiness, as we pursue fruit, we have this promise, but God's not gonna leave you. That's that's not just up to you. God is gonna be with you in that. And there is grace to forgive you when you fail. And there's also grace to be with you and to change you every single day. So sanctification is God's work and it's my work. Listen to these verses on sanctification. In Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, okay, ready? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds gnarly. For, this is crazy, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so who's working in that verse? Would it be correct to say, look, God's doing all the work? No, because it says work out your own salvation. You have to apply our effort and our will. But as we do that, we have this promise. It's actually God doing that in us, both to will, even to have the desire to grow in holiness, that's God. And to to actually do it for his good pleasure. Sanctification, it's God's work and it's our work. Another one, love this one in Corinthians, but by the grace of Of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Just type A, Paul. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay, so grace, only grace. That's the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I'm the way that I am. And that grace led to fruit. True grace will always lead to holiness. True grace will always lead to life change. And Paul says, we're kind of like, I'm, I worked harder than anybody. I worked harder than anybody. That's the call of the Christian life. We should be working hard. At work, we should be working harder than anybody. And then we say, but do you know what? That's not, that's not me. That's the grace of God that's with me. And then here's just a fun quote by Augustine. He says, give me the grace to do as you command and command me to do what you will. He's just talking about we need the grace to do it, and then God helps us to actually do that. Sanctification, mind-blowing paradox. Another pastor has said, Paul's point is true spiritual growth is not one-sided. No amount of man-made effort can produce righteousness, nor does the Lord sanctify his people by osmosis. Only when these two work in concert is sanctification possible. And then just to beat this dead horse, because it's important and we forget it, another pastor said, grace is not only the pardon that passes over our badness, it is also the power that produces our goodness. Grace isn't this thing that lets us off the hook so we don't have to do anything. That's just not what grace is. Grace powers us to then pursue Jesus. And so because, first we'll start here, because Sanctification is our work, church. Are we growing? Are you growing in holiness? This this matters. True Christians grow in holiness. This is, it's, it's a hard thing. It requires effort. Jesus says it requires your entire life. Lose your life. This may require us to lay down our preferences to our spouses. This may require 
us to stop dishonoring God with how we use our body, relationally, sexually, what we consume. Like, are you growing in holiness? That's the call to the Christian, grow in holiness. Okay, but then, and this is what I love about this text. Paul says all of that. He's taught all of that. But Paul wants our focus somewhere else at the end of this letter. It's pretty encouraging. It's both, but Paul wants our focus somewhere specific at the end of this letter. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Paul wants to end. What's the emphasis? What's the hope? God himself. It's not going to send somebody else to do it. God, who created everything, is personally motivated to sanctify you. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That kept, that's like a passive, like we're being kept. Like we don't, we don't do the keeping. God does the keeping. Paul wants to assure us at the end of your life, after all of this struggle, it's God who is keeping you. It is God who's been sanctifying you. Paul could have said, now, now remember, it's also your work, so don't be lazy. He says, hey, God himself is going to sanctify you. He's going to do it. And uh, while we, we Christians can get lazy, the reality is our culture, the air we breathe, the religious, like what our default is, we are much more prone to thinking it's up to us. That's just who we are. That's who we are. Our culture says you're the captain of your own ship. You decide your own destiny. You become what you want to become, right? Our world says, hey, nothing's going to happen unless you go and do it, right? We value success. We value performance. We value um, impressing others. And, and so we all, I, this is universal. We live in fear. Am I not performing enough? Am I not impressing enough? Am I not, what if I fail, right? And we live this way with our relationships. We live this way um, in our workplace or what, we're, what we do. But we also, we totally import this to our relationship with God, right? Am I impressing him enough? What if I'm gonna fail him? If, am I performing? Am I impressing? Am I doing a good enough job? We live, I, th- I hope it's not just me. I mean, we, well, I do hope. I don't hope it's you, but I think we all experience that fear of, man, I'm not doing enough. And do you know what? Satan goes there. He goes there. The moment we fail, he starts whispering in our ear, just lies. He wants you to forget about justification and he wants you to think, look what you've done. God's not gonna accept you. You are too dirty. You are too filthy. Have you ever come into a worship service and just had this thought like, why, like, why am I here? Why should I sing right now to God? Like all I can think about is, are my sins. Like that's Satan doing everything he can to keep our eyes fixed on us and forgetting Jesus who already sanctifies and cleanses and adopts us and clothes us in his robes of righteousness. So we are so prone to think it all depends on us. And then Paul, in case that, that point wasn't clear enough, he then just reinforces that point in the next verse with the very character of God. It's like God's gonna sanctify you. He's gonna keep you. But verse 24, he says, in case we're doubting, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Like maybe God's gonna keep me. May, it depends on me. Maybe like, no, he's going to do it. He will do it as sure as he is faithful. 
And the faithfulness of God is like one of the cornerstone characteristics of who he is. All throughout the Bible, he's like, I am faithful. I am a faithful God. And so even when we fear, man, what if I don't measure up? What if, what if I sin too much beyond God's grace because of who God is? And in his faithfulness, we can rest assured God is faithful. He is going to keep me. He's going to sanctify me. He will surely do it. And then this is what he says. He who calls you is faithful. That's, that's an important word right there. He who calls you is faithful. Do you know why that's important? When God called you to himself, how are you doing? Like, were you just awesome, running the race towards Jesus? Just re- like, no, we were in rebellion to him. We were in rebellion. The Bible even says we were dead in our sins. And God called us out of that. Nope, you're mine. I'm breathing new life into you. I'm calling you to myself. He called us by grace. He didn't call you because you were awesome. In fact, he called you knowing you were a sinner in your sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if God calls us by grace, why would he then keep us according to our own work and our own efforts, right? God is faithful. He calls you by grace. He will keep you by grace. And, and this is how it played out practically for Paul. So he came to the Thessalonians, remember, and he shared the gospel and God did this amazing work. And then Paul had to leave. Like he didn't get a lot of time to spend. And so in the letter, he's like, I was worried about you. And what if the work was in vain? And so I was willing to be left alone. I sent Timothy to you. And Timothy came back with this amazing report. Like God has been at work and we haven't been there. I, like, I don't know how this is happening, but they're growing. They're, at, they're, they're growing near to Jesus. How did that happen? Because God is the one who's faithfully working. And because God who calls us is faithful, Paul was able to rejoice like, okay, God's got this church. He's got it. That's how he ends the letter. Like, you better worry just in case like you don't fall apart because I'm not there. He's like, I'm confident. This is the last thing I'm gonna say. God's gonna keep you. He's got this. And, and that's good news for us, right? Because just even as a youth pastor, I get stressed out over kids and their salvation and like, will they ever make it? Will they ever keep loving Jesus? And honestly, I experience more just discouragement and like, this is hopeless. There is no hope for these kids. Honestly, I'm just letting you in. I'm a bad youth pastor. That's my flesh. There's no hope. But then God reminds me, Bo, you didn't save them. Their salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on me and I'm going to keep them. Now watch me do it. And we just watch these kids grow in the Lord. And you're like, how did that happen? The Lord called them. He is faithful. He's going to do it. For us, for you guys, I mean, do we not have friends and family, even kids that were just like, Lord, anxiety, stress, are you going to like, is there hope for these people? And God wants our hope to be in him, right? He's faithful. He calls us even when we're sinners. If you ever have anxiety over a human, send them to the Lord. Take them to the Lord in prayer. That's where your hope should be in your relationships, And so if God begins something, he promises, I will complete it. I love the verse Philippians 1, 6. He who began a work will complete it. God doesn't, he's not like us, start a book. I'm like, I'm boring and I set it down. We're that way. We're fickle. God says, if I start it, I'm gonna complete it. The Bible says we're actually his masterpiece. Like 
He starts a masterpiece. He's not like, oh, I didn't really like how that turned out. I'm going to go work on another one. He's like, he will complete what he starts. Um, my wife and I, Ariana and I, a few weeks ago went to Yellowstone National Park. Never been there. And I love the mountains. And of course, we're going, we're seeing bison and we saw bears and um, a man was eaten by a bear while we were there. That's distracting, but I couldn't not say it. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was an awesome it was an amazing trip, right? But of course, people go to Yellowstone for one reason. They want to see Old Faithful, right? It's, it's famous. There's literally an outdoor, just audit. It's like a coliseum around this hole in the ground, literally built in benches, and it's huge. So we wander in, I mean, and it's like the woods, and all of a sudden, you're in Disneyland. There's just huge buildings. And you're like, where am I, and what's happening? And so we wander up, and people are kind of walking away, and we sit down in these benches, and we didn't know this, but there is in the Welcome Center, like Old Faithful will go off at this time approximately. We didn't know. So we just sat down. We didn't know if Old Faithful had just gone off, it was about to go off, when Old Faithful was about to go off, how long we needed to wait. So we just sat there. And I'm a pretty impatient, I'm a very impatient person. And I don't like waiting, but I wasn't impatient because I just, I was like, the name is Old Faithful. Like it's, it's going to happen. I don't have to be... Sh- it's going to happen. And so we literally sat there for an hour and a half staring at nothing in the sun. And I was like, I wasn't grumpy. I was like, it's, she's coming. It's old faithful. And, and literally it's crazy. Like more and more people gather around and there's this huge crowd and then all, and then old faithful goes off and you're stoked. And then everybody leaves and that just happens. And it's been happening for a long time. So that's old faithful. And here's the point. When we, when we trust something to be faithful, it changes our expectations. It changes our hope. It changes our behavior. Like it just does. And God who created old faithful is more faithful than old faithful. Okay. God is faithful. Side note, I guess old faithful has like slowly become less and less faithful. It used to be every 20 minutes. Now it's like hour and a half maybe. And they, and they say like, she could just shut down any minute. So even old faithful is not Faithful like God is faithful. I don't even really want this to be funny. Sorry. I'm going to take a drink real quick. Anyways, God, God is faithful to us. And that changes our hopes. It changes our expectations. We're in the middle of something that is so hard. We, we just, we can rest. Like, I know he's faithful to me. I know He's working this for my good. There's all these promises, and I know God will make do on them. I mean, Jesus was faithful to the point of death on the cross for our sins. That's the faithfulness of God towards us. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. There's a verse in Romans 8. When I, was, when I looked it up, I literally like almost included like 20 verses because it's so good, but I'll just read one. Romans 8, 32 It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like God already gave you his son. Everything else is much less valuable than his own son. If God is gonna be faithful to give you his son, he's got this, he's faithful. He has got us in his hands. And so Paul moves from this amazing 
prayer and benediction and encouragement. And he gives us just a few more quick truths that we're going to look at pretty quickly. Verse 25 and 26. This is what he says. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So I, first of all, this is impressive of Paul is he's an apostle. Like when he talks, it's God talking. He, as he's writing this letter, he's like, this is the Bible. I'm writing scripture. He's Paul, like crazy connection with the Lord. And these are Thessalonians who have just become Christians. And he says to them, hey, will you pray for me? Like pray for me. Like that is an amazing act of humility that Paul would say, pray for me. So church, how much more should we be praying for each other? Right, like we're not Paul, we need prayer. Like we need to be praying for one another. And it is, it's an act of humility. Who wants to share, hey, this is hard right now. Hey, I failed at this. Hey, this is a big struggle. Will you pray for me? But even Paul would say, pray for one another. Honestly, one of the coolest things that happened this summer uh, at our summer camps with the youth, I, I say things like, hey guys, if you wanna do this and like, I don't have faith, I'm like, maybe pray for each other. Like we have leaders, but you can pray for each other too. And inside I'm like, they're not gonna do it. And so we go into second set and I, I remember a moment and I stood back and I saw like high schoolers praying for each other. And it literally like, it wrecked me. It seriously did. And uh, we just did that the other night at junior high at youth group. And the same thing. And these like small junior hires are praying for one another. Like, oh, how good if, if junior hires can do it and if Paul can do it at church, we should be praying for one another, right? And so even second set of worship, we have people who are anointed and gifted in prayer. Come get prayer. But even, even besides that, like pray for one another. Like we're sitting next to one another. You know at least someone else in this room, even if you don't know them. Hey, will you pray for me? I'm sure they're not gonna be like, I don't, who are you? Like, that's not, that's not what we do. We should be praying for one another. And then Paul continues this, his, his point here is, hey, we should be this community of Christ. So he says, pray for us. And then he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss controversial. Uh, we don't do that. The point was, <laughs> the point was, hey, greet one another in the warmest possible, like normal, acceptable, culturally, like that's not weird. Um, even looking this up, I remember like the churches did this as part of their liturgy and it got weird in church history. And then pastors were like, okay, no more holy kiss. Like we're doing other things, even that. So this isn't saying we need to be kissing each other. It's saying we need to greet one another with affection. Is Sorry. Um, we should greet one another with... So, you know, when we do that in that time when we finish after first set, like that's an opportunity to really obey this. And we all, at least most of us, if you're not just highly extroverted, that's not a comfortable time. I don't really... I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna find someone I don't know. I'll maybe turn around. But the church should be of any group. We should be unified and graciously loving one another. That's, that's just true. We're part of a new family. We are. We're part of a family that's gonna last longer than any of our blood families. Like that's, that's actually true. We're adopted into a new family. And even just think of this thought. We are so unified as Christians that the oldest, most unathletic person in here, and then who's a Christian, and then the like picture just classic skater boy outside, okay? Picture them, both Christians. They have more in common. They literally have more in common 
than the two best friends who don't know Jesus. That's actually true. They're unified by the blood of Jesus. That blood runs deeper than family blood. That, that unifies us. And so you guys, this is mostly for second service, but personal request. Greet our youth. Greet them. Welcome them. You guys, junior high, high school, all you think is like, I hate the world. I don't belong. Nobody, they know nobody wants them. They know they're at an awkward age. And so when an adult comes and invests interest in their life, like it literally, it actually just changes their life. Like just that, let alone Jesus. If someone goes up to a junior high or high school and is like, hey, I want to know you. Like how school, how, like that is really, really radical. And just we, we are a young church and we have lots of young kids. And so even in second service, that's why we bring them in here for announcements and worship because we want them to know you belong here. People who don't feel like they belong, if you're a Christian, like this place should be a place where if anything you belong and you are loved. And, and notice where Paul says, greet all the brothers, okay? There are certainly our favorites. There are certainly our circles in the church, but his point with all is he knows there are people that we don't like. In fact, there may be Christians that drive us more crazy than anybody else in the whole world. That may be true. And Paul says, greet them with the holy kiss, love them, welcome them. And, and he knows that's hard. And all throughout the Bible, he's like, oh yeah. And remember Jesus who welcomed you in when like you hated him. Like if, if we come to the point where we can't even welcome somebody else, like think about how God welcomed us when we were rebelling against him, how could we not even greet one another? So greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he ends with this last little commandment, verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Um, people probably weren't there at the time that the letter was first, uh, they, when they first got the letter. And so he's talking about that. Also, most people couldn't read or write back then. So the way to get scripture was in the gathering where you would hear it read. But, but even more, he's saying all the brothers. And, and his point, what he's recognizing is, this is crazy, but Paul knew he was hearing from God and he knew this was the word of God. He knew what he was receiving was God's word. So he was motivated to tell people, make sure you read this. This isn't a personal letter from Paul. Like this is God's word to all the brothers. And this is just a cool reminder when uh, we study scripture, yes, a prophecy was at a specific time to a specific people, a letter, specific time, specific people. But if God included it into the Bible, the canon, the word of God, it's for all people at all times. That's the way God's word works. It's, it's amazing and it's weird that he would use specific letters to specific people, but the Holy Spirit uses that as scripture to then say, hey, read this. This is the word of God. And just an encouragement for us, like this is why we put such a, a central place to the word of God in our worship services. That's why even the entire Protestant tradition, like pulpit in the middle, Bible, like we are hearing from God when we open the Bible. We're not here sharing some nice ideas of how to be more like Jesus. Like we're hearing the very word of God. And that's so encouraging. And then the last verse, and I love this verse, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Um, he ends most his letters that way. And it's so easy, honestly, to read the Bible and like, no, yeah, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Okay, move on. Like it, it is a phrase that he repeats often, but it, we would be wrong to just pass over that verse. 
And so to end, Paul wants us to see, he doesn't just end his letter with the grace of Jesus. In fact, he started the letter with grace and peace. Paul, Paul wants us to remember the Christian life begins and ends with the grace of Jesus. Okay, and if you haven't kind of caught on to this already, if you're not a Christian and you come in here, it's, I know it's easy to think like we're a, a kind of a group of people and we've agreed on some rules and we kind of like got our act together and we're following these rules and we're doing the right thing. Like you would be wrong. That is not what this is about. Like we are a group of people who recognize like we are deeply, deeply flawed and sinful. But because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be welcomed and forgiven and accepted and brought in. Like the entire church is about the grace of Jesus Christ. Doesn't just start with the grace of Jesus and then, okay, now go figure it out. It's beginning, middle, and the grace of Jesus. N.T. Wright, a pastor, scholar said, the most, okay, this guy's done a lot of work on the Bible. And he says, the most significant thing about the church is that it is the company of people held in existence and maintained in truth, not by human will or effort, but by the sheer faithfulness of God. What defines us as a church is the grace of Jesus Christ. Like we gather around Jesus because he has given us grace. And even that little sentence that we hear so often, the grace of Jesus be with you, like this will change our life. If we walk out of this room, think the grace of Jesus is with me. It's with me. When I'm facing temptation, we all will face temptation. The grace of Jesus is with me before temptation. When you give into temptation, the grace of Jesus is with you. When you're feeling lazy, the grace of Jesus is with you. When you're feeling annoyed at somebody, the grace of Jesus is with you. When you don't want to go to church, you don't want to serve your church, you don't want to serve your family, the grace of Jesus is with you. This church, the Bible, all of Christianity is defined by what God has done for us. And um, just to end, when we, when we read scripture and when we even just in our quiet times, whatever it may be, a sermon, however we meditate on scripture, it's so easy to think that grace is limited to the verses that talk about grace or grace is sometimes and then sometimes God is mean, but then sometimes he's gracious and we got to find that word grace or we have to see it explicitly talking. We just need to know like this whole book is fulfilled in Christ. It's fulfilled in grace. And I love, this is just something that I do to myself. This is something I try and teach the youth. When you read the Bible, like, Find the blood of Jesus and how that defines how we read this. And so we're just going to end on this meditation. We're going to go over each verse. 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So then just stop there. Jesus, Jesus is the peace of God, okay? Sanctify you completely. Jesus sanctifies us by the sprinkling of his blood, okay? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. Okay, stop there. Jesus, Jesus is faithful. He was faithful to the cross and he will be with us. He's our good shepherd who will never leave us. He will make sure we get home. Verse 25, brothers, pray for us. 
You know, Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, listen to this. We, like Judas, betrayed God, rebelled against God with a kiss. Like, that's us. Jesus welcomes us home like the prodigal with a kiss and a ring and a robe of righteousness. Like Jesus, Jesus greets us with a holy kiss. Look at verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read because it's the word of God. Jesus is the very word of God. Jesus, this whole book, he's the word of God. He says, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, Jesus is the grace of God who left heaven, came, offered his life for sinners that we could receive grace and mercy. You guys, this text, this book, this church, it's all about Jesus and his grace and what he has done. This is Jesus' word. You're Jesus' bride. We're gathering. We're about to worship around Jesus. If you're distracted by thinking about yourself and how you're doing, give it to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember when Peter was getting out of the boat and he's walking on water and it was radical because he was looking at Jesus? The second he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Church, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not just while we gather, which is what we're going to do and what we hopefully always will do, but as you leave, it's about Jesus. It's about the grace of Jesus when you fail, when you're trying to tell your friends about the gospel. Trust that Jesus is able. He is faithful to us. Amen, church? Jesus, we thank you for your grace, that you are the grace of God. Thank you for your word, that you are the word of God. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. We thank you that this whole thing is not about us and how well we do. We don't get a report card at the end and we're stressed about our grade, that we get your grade. We get your resume, Jesus. We're clothed in your righteousness. And Jesus, even as you call us and change us to grow in faithfulness and in holiness, thank you that you are really the one beneath it all working in us. God, even as we are trying to grow, even as we're trying to love you more and, and sin less, remind us that you've got us in your hands. You are keeping us. You are faithful, God. Jesus, right now, please move our hearts, move our hearts to worship you. Help us see more clearly, Lord, if any of us have never put our trust in you. Holy Spirit, I ask by the gift of God, you would open eyes this morning to see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done by grace alone. Help us to worship you. Help us to pray for one another now and come and get communion and remember that your body was broken and your blood was shed for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful and your grace will be with us. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.